Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There was an incident around where Williams was living when there was a hoax bomb put under his car. Yeah. And he and 150 of his neighbours had to be evacuated yep. while the army came in and made sure that it was always safe. Horrendous yeah. uh, situation to find yourself in. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Martin the Viper Foley could be facing a short jail term after pleading guilty to engaging in threatening behaviour as he attempted to recover a debt from a Wexford pensioner. The 67-year-old, who is one of Ireland's most notorious criminals, faces a maximum sentence of just three months. But what is more insightful is where his criminal career is at and the amount of money he was due to be paid for his current day job. A former enforcer for Martin the General Cahill, a violent criminal suspected of armed robbery of fine art and jewels, and a man who has survived numerous attempts on his life by the IRA and rival criminals, Foley has had a long and colourful career in the underworld. So who is the Viper and what has made him one of the greatest survivors of gangland? This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So do you remember when you used to go and get your hair cut and yeah. come in and you get really annoyed because I and other ladies in the office didn't yeah. notice. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not quite true because I would always compliment a lady when you she always had a haircut. Exactly. And it was sort of a reverse sexism that I got no attention. Got no attention. But it was really, I was fighting for, for men everywhere, really, rather than for well, myself. Despite how much I've been banging on about them for so long and every time I see it, you got new runners and I didn't notice. No, you didn't. So, so the red ones are gone to the... Recycling. No, they're not gone. They're, they may... They're there for the gardening. Yeah. You should just actually cut the cord with things like that. <laughs> I actually think that hanging on to things, thinking, oh, I'll wear them around the house, or I'll wear, just yeah. put them out. Okay, well, I'll consider it. Now, you didn't go with my advice and take the new balance no. ones. Well, I make them visible to they're our just bla- They're so boring. They're not... <laughs> you know, it's almost my calling card now, isn't it? The boring... The boring bit rather than... Yeah, but... Yeah, it is very exciting for, I think, for all the public to yeah. hear about my new runners. Yeah. Isn't it? But go on, why did you go for such a boring pair? Because I wanted you to buy those nice blue New yeah. Balance ones and then I re- realised they were actually ladies, but I would have yeah. directed you towards... But you see, that would be fashion above yeah. being sensible. Right, so <laughs> what's happening? I've gone for the the most sensible shoes, shoes because I have... As you know, as people now, I've been forced to talk about these things. I've gone through a sort of midlife crisis and taken up jogging. Well, fine. And I've okay. got, well. <laughs> it's not really properly. <laughs> well, stuff. well, well. So, and yeah, so my heels get a bit injured. So, so I have, you need have support. to have particularly, yes. Yeah. So I looked at the fancy runners, Nicola, you suggested and thought, no. You just went. I'm going to go for the sensible action. ones. It's You'd have to be brought into a shop anyway to be pointed in the direction of them. But um, for a man of your years and everything's collapsing, obviously, through your high-octane sporting achievements, right? Exactly. 
um, you're not a patch on Mr. Martin Foley going no. around with 14 bullets in his body, having survived numerous assassination attempts. Super fit guy whose actual fitness fanaticism has caused him injury because it's his most kind of routine thing. Every time somebody decides yep. they want to kill him, they go from at one of his yeah. sports he goes to yoga classes, he does the gym, all the rest of it. But back in the news at 67 for threatening a man, he um, is one of the great survivors of gangland. I mean, goes all the way back to being a part of Martin, the General Cahill's gang, and indeed his childhood friend. Yep. And he's still out there. Um now, I did check something before we decided we're going to talk about him okay. because we're going to go right back with Foley and okay. we'll have a good discussion about where he came from, what moulded and made him and what exactly it is he is. is. But he's a guy that has an 800,000 euro almost. Is it 700,000? 730,000. 730,000 yeah. bill to the Criminal Assets Bureau, which is a kind of a tax uh, assessment. Yeah. So basically he owes that on money they believe he made through crime, but he owes the tax on it. Yeah, I, I think there was... I never got my head quite around that revenue tax thing with the... Yeah, I mean, that's, right. it's, you know, it's unexplained income. Unexplained it? earnings. And yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, there's no proof of where those earnings were made, but they still have to pay tax on the earnings is the idea. And I think he's been hit with a lot of uh, interest payments. Yeah, because that bill has been knocking that. around for a long time. And I was wondering, you know, is he... Has he paid it now? Because, But no, he hasn't. So no. it's still outstanding. And the reason I really was interested in that was because what he's actually been back before the courts for, um, now you'll have to help me out here, but I did my remedial maths yeah. on this. And he was looking to recover uh, unpaid rent from a, a tenant in a house down in Wexford. Yeah. This incident happened in June of 2020. And... The unpaid rent was 40, sorry, 4,000, yep. right? Uh, a 68-year-old man owed this money and uh, it appeared that the landlord employed the Viper Recovery Services or whatever he's currently operating yep. the company name on. So they actually, if you look at what they do, they get 20% of what is recovered. So had they got the four grand... Oh, smiling now. No, 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 I think I got this right. Go I think I got this right. Okay. So this is definitely like third... Third class, fourth class mathematics. Yeah, but I, I'm actually going to pass this. Go on. I think, well, I hope. So had they got this 20% of the four grand, it yeah. would have been 800 euro. 800 euro. Am I right? My heart actually yes. stopped there yes. a little bit and I went, Jesus, if I said this well done. to the nation and it's wrong. So, and there was two of them. So they would have had There's to divide two. that, which would work out 400 each. Say they were going 50-50 on it. Yeah. 400 euro each. And then presumably he does pay his tax now, given that he's already got this massive tax bill. He'd probably have to pay, you know, 150 quid yeah. of that in tax. So he, his, his earnings he, would have been 250. And then he'd have to pay his... his I doubt he gets diesel. mileage, would he, or no. anything like that? No. So that, I mean, I think that's what the scale... But that's what he's out working for now. That's what he's out working for. And he's not uh, retiring, is he? He's 60, no. he's of retirement he's age. I know this was a couple of years ago, 2020. So yeah, he's this is this is what he has. Yeah, this is where his, his is where career has ended. Yeah, and of course, then it's not just the small amounts of money. There's obviously the hazard of of dealing with things like this, which obviously ended up in in, in a courthouse. Um, he is he pled guilty. He was initially charged with threat to kill. That was dropped, and he's been uh, convicted of uh, threatening and abusive behaviour, mm -hmm. effectively, which is a relatively small charge with a maximum sentence of a couple of months in prison. I think threatening it is. and abusive behaviour. Yeah, with with with, an, with with the aim of breaching the peace. Yeah. So I mean, it's a low level charge. Very much so. Yeah. However, he could face a, a prison sentence, which I can't. Looking back, it must be 30, 40 years since he's been behind bars. Yeah. Now, he's had a few run-ins with the law and been arrested here and there. Um, he was arrested in a jewellery shop a few years ago in a dispute with the shop owner. But yeah, he's in danger going back to prison at his age mm. over a couple of hundred quid. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we, he sort of, we're at now. But let's go back to the beginning because it, it definitely didn't start on small pittance no. of money for uh, certain things that he's doing. He would have always been well known for throughout his career. He's been a kind of a heavy 
an enforcer, a volatile individual who's regularly threatened and probably quick with his fists and all the rest of it. But back to where it started. He's originally from Derry. Yeah. And he's one of five children who moved to, the parents moved and settled in Crumlin. Um, and so he's, I'm not going to try and work out when that was. Well, I think he was 11 years old when he, when he settled in Crumlin. So what year are you doing? Um, so you're talking in the 1960s, aren't you? He says confidently. No, not fully confidently. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, w- yeah, it would have been. Yeah. The 1960s into the 70s. Yeah. So um, he settled there at a time of extreme poverty in that neighborhood. And yeah. it would have been a new neighborhood. Crumlin. Would have been one of the, the the wave of sort of corporation built housing complexes. And, you know, a lot of Bring people, people out of the city center. A lot of people moved tenement. out. Yeah. And, and a lot of what sort of West Dublin, Crumlin, Drimna, a lot of those areas were settled. I mean, they were built before that probably. Um, but it was part of the a, a move a gradual move from people out, out of the tenements of Dublin city centre where people were living mm. in really unsafe conditions and the the state post-war engaged, built a lot of homes. Um, yeah. And so crumb, as the kids grew up, these were all newly settled. There was, I suppose, some of them got in trouble. Yeah. Um, and Martin L- Foley. A family moved in down the road, of course, yeah. from from Foley's, from the Foley's of Derry. And they were the Cahill's, the yeah. Martin Cahill's family, big family of um, boys mainly, weren't yeah. they? About eight or ten of them. Yeah, and the there was some of them, um, I think Martin Cahill was a couple of years younger than Martin Foley. Um, not much in the difference. Obviously, some of Martin Cahill's brothers as well were became ultimately became involved in that first wave of armed robbers, organized armed robbers. Uh, obviously, some of them have since passed away and some mm. of them moved away from life of crime. But Martin Foley and 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 uh, Martin Cahill will go on to become really, really famous. The first real, uh, I suppose... Gangland superstars almost. Gangland superstars. The yeah. first people, I mean, I remember them growing up and you remember yeah. them growing up, uh, seeing them on the front of the Herald, not really fully known what was going on. This is the 1980s, but they were, they became Ireland's first celebrity criminals, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there have been the Duns maybe be around the same time, but they were like national figures. Yeah. And, um, and of course they came sort of of age at a time when the Guardi would have been very focused on the IRA. And they would have been very much, their time was caught up really with fighting terrorism as opposed to what crime has now become a kind of a version of terrorism, hasn't it? A narco-terrorism. But back then it was kind of, uh, they were just, you know, very engaged, huge amount of intelligence around the subversives, around the IRA, around their leadership, around their activities. They had to be obviously because they, they were capable of doing anything and of causing mass murder. Um, and that was the kind of environment that the likes of Cahill and Foley came into. Um, now, Foley himself actually had a trade as a tire fitter before, but I think he was kind of doing the armed robbery on the side. And they were very anti-establishment. Yeah. I mean, I Cahill think, and Foley. I think Cahill was a really unique character, whatever mm. way you look at it. And Foley was, they they had a lifelong friendship, I think, up until they, till Cahill was shot. But... I think he really, uh, Foley really followed in his wake. I mean, Martin Cahill, obviously everybody knows about him, probably seen the films, but a really sort of uh, unusual character to spring up. And he was driven not just solely by 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 maybe greed and that, he was driven by a kind of a sort of bizarre philosophy of, of, of getting one over, I think, on mm. the state as well. Um, also sort of attention-seeking, I suppose, or publicity-driven criminality, in a sense. Uh, he seemed to embrace that in a way that that was unusual. And it all created a kind of... Uh, a bit of ego tied up in that, though, really. Yeah. When you think about it, the the, the idea of beating the yeah. state, the systems, the police, the, you know, the forensic labs, the beating the court system, beating the social yeah. welfare system. And if you remember, of, of course, a lot of that, the, the Martin Cahill crew... Had had been brutalized by the state. I think you know. I think um, nearly all of them had gone to those institutions. Or, not they weren't called borstals at the time. And they were brought up in abject poverty. Yeah, a lot of them were brought up in homes where, I mean, multiplied by the poverty, there was alcoholism. So that made them their childhoods even more impoverished. And they went out to rob 
to feed themselves and their brothers and sisters. And like, you know, the Duns would be the same. And in a way, Jerry Hutch would sort of yeah, I mean, these be were of people, that similar start in life, you know, yeah, I mean, marginalised. Marginal, but put in these institutions, um, most of Martin Cahill's gang were criminalised at a really, really young age, put in institutions in 13, 14, 15 years old. Everybody knows what went on in those institutions now. I mean, the, 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 these are kids who are absolutely uh, put through the ringer. And I think that, you know, they were brutalised, like no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And I, I was talking to somebody of late who was in one of those borstals, um, yeah. somebody who would be known within the criminal underworld. And they actually said to me that it was great because he got fed. Yeah. So yeah. in other words, the, the being brutalized and there didn't actually matter because the hunger was worse. Yeah. So at least when you got into these institutions, you got three square meals a day. Yeah. Like that's a kind of a poverty that I don't know. Does that exist in modern Ireland? Well, it probably does exist in, in, in it does exist in bits. I mean, there, it's, there, there is, it, it certainly does if there's dysfunction around children growing up. Yeah. Where they can't access, there are obviously that would be largely tied up in the modern world in addiction. Yes, or or other types of dysfunction or trauma going on in the background. Nowadays, unlike back then, kids aren't really allowed to drop out of school. That there are services. Yeah, but I mean, I know a lot of them fall through the cracks, but. There are Dash schools that have food there. I'm I'm talking really basic kind of stuff. Actually, being fed, of course, in homes where there's addiction and abuse and stuff. Um, yeah, look, I mean, there's more poverty than anywhere else. But yeah, I mean, look, the, these things still go on. Let's let's these be kids realistic. back then were like literally were they weren't finishing national school, let alone no secondary school. There was very little policing of that. There was very heavy handed. Well, I mean, if if you look at now, even now you have uh, the state taking kids off parents and all the trauma and putting, Mm. you know, I mean, all of that is deeply traumatic for children to go through that. But if you look at back then, those kids were being treated as criminals when that same dysfunction was going on and they were being put in these places. And I think Martin Cahill, by his own words, had a kind of a reaction against that where the state became his enemy. Mm. And he's not alone in that, in, in the criminal world, where s- certain criminals have that that attitude mm. that they are at war with the with the, with the the police, with the, the courts, with all of those things. I think Foley uh, became um, his, somebody that he'd known all his life. He put a great deal of trust in the people that, that he could trust in terms of their loyalty. I think Foley as well served as being... Uh, somebody who was frightening to people, who was capable of violence, who was... Uh, who he was a boxer. F- he was a boxer and people mm. feared him and knew of his reputation. And I think Martin Cahill used him for that. Um, yeah. Well, certainly I think he was a, his enforcer as well as somebody yeah. who was believed to have been on a number of these very famous yeah. armed robberies. Um, and art heists, of course, which is where enter John Trainer the late John Trainer, who was part of John Gilligan's gang. It seems to me that, um, you know, I'm sure somebody who was working more around these times would know this exactly, more exactly. But it seems to me that you had John Gilligan's gang, um, you had the Cahill gang. They sort of worked together sometimes. Sometimes they swapped information. They helped one another out. Uh, they were obviously all involved in robberies of big commercial robberies, um, jewellery stores. In the case of John Gilligan, it was factories. Um, but it was John Trainer who supplied Cahill with information about the O'Connor's jewellers, yeah. um, which used to have vast amounts of cash. And it was Cahill and suspected that Foley, along with him, went and robbed O'Connor's jewellers as money was being moved and it was two million pounds. Yeah, which is, I mean, it was an absolute level above anything that had ever occurred of that type at that time in Ireland. This is 1983. So if you look back at that, I mean, the, the, 
the scale of inflation, it, it was an absolute phenomenal amount of money. And I think as well, obviously, armed robberies have been commonplace through the 70s and, and the early 80s, but there was a degree of planning and of preparation, um, and it really built their reputation as as uh, a league above what was going on. I mean, some of the, the people involved, people like Shavo Hogan and John Trainer. I mean, these people... That was 1983. We'd still be writing about them 30 yeah. years later, and obviously not. Shavo Hogan was ultimately shot dead, but you know it was it it put them into the big time, mm. um, and they made a huge amount of money off it. Now the IRA were in the mix in the ether and were really the overlords of everybody back then. We've spoken recently about how that balance, sort of that power balance, shifted completely around the time of the 2016, the Regency, you can really see it, how it's shifted by then. Um, but at that time, the IRA were, they pretty much took a cut from everybody who was doing anything. Um, they would sometimes, I imagine, be involved, sometimes not. Uh, but everybody had to sort of adhere to their rules and their conditions. And Cahill and Gilligan and all the rest was regularly sort of fell into disfavor of the IRA or they they had difficulties with them. Presumably that was all over money and power. But a year after the, or two years rather, after the O'Connor's jewellery heist, um, Martin Foley was kidnapped by the IRA and an eyewitness saw it happening, called the police and they sort of trailed the, he was very lucky actually, for somebody who's so anti-establishment, they trailed the van that he was in um, as far as the Phoenix Park, there was a shootout and he was basically rescued by the Gardaí. Yeah. I mean, he'd he'd been, they'd called to his door with a sawn-off shotgun, four guys. He'd fought with the guy with the shotgun. They'd beaten him up with with, uh, baseball bats or something like that. He fought them again. They dragged him upstairs. He managed to escape. Went, you know, he really battled them. Yeah. Eventually, through all of this, they managed to bundle him into a van and as they were driving off, somebody had seen all this commotion, which went on and on. And uh, well, presumably, then the fact that he fought them so long and yeah. caused such commotion saved yeah. his life rather than saved luck. his life. Um, but it was, yeah, it was that was the balance of power. The IRA saw this gang make two million quid. They wanted their cut. Um, they were probably less involved in direct. Uh, armed robberies at this at this stage because uh, though they continued to be involved and there's obviously some notorious incidents but they expected a cut and Martin Cahill in particular uh, pushed against that mm-hmm. Gilligan fell in and out with them but he his gang really did accept the, the authority of the IRA um, but Cahill certainly and that ultimately probably cost him his life uh, when he was shot by the IRA himself in, in the mid-90s. It was the, the, the pushback he gave to them. Like that sort of a robbery, two million and the jewellery. I mean, O'Connor's jewellery heist is one of the most famous. It remains yeah. one of the most famous. Um, you couldn't sort of pretend you didn't do that. I mean, everybody within the criminal underworld and the paramilitary world would have known exactly who carried it out, who was capable of it. Only a finite amount of people would be capable of the kind of work, shall we say, that the Cal gang did. Um but they, you know, probably smaller, given the very nature of criminals, if they did smaller robberies that yeah. weren't kind of making the news or the headlines, they presumably weren't going to hand over the money to the IRA anyway. No, but I think, this, yeah, know? it was the size of it and also it's maybe nice. maybe seen as a, as a, you know, they didn't get permission or they didn't seek to ask permission before doing it. Now, around this same time in, in the 1980s, of course, the, the heroin epidemic had hit Dublin and um, the concerned parents against drugs had got together. I think that movement had started in Hardwick Street and it had moved into a lot of the other flat complexes. And they had established a pattern where they marched on the homes of known drug dealers. I mean, I think in the case of Tommy Savage, they left a coffin outside his house and there were others that they ordered them out of flat complexes out in Ballymun and all the rest of it. But they sort of wrongly marched on the homes of uh, Cahill and Foley, which angered them, well, certainly on Foley, and it angered them to such an extent um, that Cahill ordered his men to go out and to create the Concerned Criminal Action Committee. Yeah, yeah. So to counteract that, I mean, this is just the kind of inside the mind of of Cahill, the bizarre yeah. 
ego driven mind of Cahill. But so he got his own sort of network together and got them to march on the homes of the concerned parents. Yeah. yeah. They were concerned criminals that yeah. were being kind of outed wrongly as drug dealers. And Foley was involved in that, of course. I'm sure that all blew up and died down quickly yeah. enough. But but he was kind of the front man for it, actually, yeah. Foley. Um, like at that stage, the, the Cahill gang weren't involved in drugs in 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 fairness, um, though many of them would go on to become extremely uh, serious players in the drugs drugs business. As well, like the concerned parents against drugs, there was a, a kind of an IRA aspect to that as well, wasn't there? I mean, that's something that's still debated how much of a hand the IRA had in, in those, some of those organisations because there was a multiple different mm-hmm. versions of, of concerned parents. So those concerned parents were given uh, sort of a, a, the backing of some provosts when they approached these drug dealers and told that they'd back them up. So all of that was going on and Martin Cahill was also fighting back against the IRA or at least what he perceived as being the hand of the IRA on this. And of course then he was, you know, not to state the obvious, but he was openly embracing the, 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 the yeah. title of being a criminal and and that was the were the ordinary decent criminals which i think they made a film didn't they about martin Cahill, uh besides the more famous one called ordinary decent criminal yeah um because that was a moniker that they they wanted to have you know i'm just trying to get my timeline right on this i have some notes in front of me because i'm going to throw something else into okay. the mix which is you have obviously the you know they've they've done the o'connor's jewelry heist they're kind of becoming celebrity criminals almost yep. they've gone out and fought back against the concerned parents saying yeah. they're concerned criminals um there's a guy called Paddy Shanahan yeah and he comes to Foley in the aftermath of that 1984 kidnapping which results in his being freed up in the Phoenix Park and he says to them he's an idea about these stealing these Dutch masters yeah. paintings which are in a house called Rusbra in County Wicklow owned by a couple by the name of Bites, is it? B-I-T. Yeah, the yeah. Bites. And they are these very fabulously rich... Um, uh, sort of aristocratic... Aristocratic sort of who, couple. Who are, couple who yeah. are actually go on to leave those paintings to the Irish state. Yeah. But who are living in this huge big mansion in Wicklow with very little security on it and probably, you know... W- on the walls are hanging millions and millions yep. and millions of euro worth of their art collection. Um, now, Paddy Shanahan was known as the builder. Yeah. And Paddy Shanahan, uh, a little bit earlier than this, was arrested in the UK. Yeah. Along with a guy called Jim Mansfield. Yeah. Senior. Yeah. And they were involved in some building or buying of construction stuff and they were caught on a kind of a vat fraud. Yeah, was it, was it, was it to do with the Falklands Islands or some sort of... Was it to do with that machinery that was left over that yeah. was supposed to have made Mansfield Senior his early wealth that became yeah, the, that he, what he built his empire on. Exactly. But Paddy Shanahan and Jim Mansfield go way back and had gone way back at this stage. And of course, Mansfield Senior had a lifelong interest in fine art, shall we say. Yeah. And in... um you know, in where it was and where it was housed in these yeah. big, huge houses around Ireland. Um, so it was Paddy Shanahan who came to them with the idea of stealing these Dutch masters. Obviously, he had the information of where they were and what they were, what was yeah. on the walls, but he could, he needed them to um, carry out the robbery. Yeah. And the first robbery on the Bight residence in Rusborough happened in 1986. Yeah. Now, there was absolute priceless art stolen. Um, I think Martin Cahill himself had gone down to the house to visit because they had open days when people were allowed to come in to see the, 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 and he'd look at where everything was and what it was, presumably on the advice of Paddy Shanahan Mm. and uh, in the background there in the ether somewhere is Mansfield Senior and his knowledge of the art world. Yeah. so Cahill went in, had a look, and then he s- constructed a plan. And the plan was to set off the alarms in the house. There was some security yeah. on it. He set off the alarms. The police either came or certainly called to make sure everything was okay. It was deemed that it was a false alarm. So they left the alarms 
off, off, I think, yeah. And right. the police went back to their station, wherever it was, happy in the knowledge that there was nothing. And like anybody who grew up in Ireland, childhood in the yeah. 1980s, the 90s, will just remember the constant ding of alarms yeah, yeah, because... Yeah. People ignored them. People just ignored people them. People still do, of course, you know. Well, they ignore fire alarms, but I mean, they used to ignore house alarms. Yeah, I like to yeah. think they don't anymore yeah. because they don't go off as much. They're much more well, sophisticated. They weren't, yeah, they weren't necessarily connected to... to, to Call centers. No, they weren't. Con- that's probably yeah. right. Yeah. They weren't connected to call centers. Yeah. But I remember like summer childhoods playing outside yeah. and just getting used to the yeah. ringing in your ear yeah. because people would go out to work. The alarm would go off just as they drove off to the edge of the world <laughs> and it would be going all day long. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, it was a different time, really. That sounds like a very sort of quaint story to tell but that was the truth of it yeah they came out checked the alarms realized it was false alarm off they went and in went Cahill and his gang and took what they what they wanted um and that resulted in the setup a year later of the tango squad because Cahill and his gang and Foley had become such menaces to society and an embarrassment to the police yeah so they they'd become national figures. I mean, I think it was, was it RTE and Today Tonight or, or yeah. somebody like that doorstepping Martin Cahill outside court. And they did great work back then. They did. Remember Today they did, Tonight? They did. And I remember being on the Herald. I remember being in a school kid and people talking about the general and stuff. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, they doorstepped him and he gave great quotes. I can't remember what they were exactly. And didn't he pull down his pants, pants and all of that sort of stuff. So he reveled in it. I mean, it's incredible when you look back, you talk about Jim Mansfield Sr., I mean, one of the guys uh, who's suspected of being involved in the O'Connor's robbery was uh, a guy called John Cunningham. Yeah. Who would go on. I mean, when did we last write about him? The last mo- few weeks. Yeah. He went on to become the right-hand man of Christy Kinahan. And one of the Paddy Shanahan, the builder, as you talk, he went on to become a very, by loads of properties around the Buckingham Street area, which, of course, all of that area featured so heavily in the Regency yeah. trial that we've just just finished and possibly we'll never talk about again. But all yeah. these characters, like, yeah. they, they, they're they like, I mean, there's almost that like it's 1980. a tapestry, it's a dance. They're yeah. constantly, is it because our country is so small and used to be even smaller and the criminal underworld was so small, there were these key figures in it and they're always but that's, intermingling. And yeah, I mean, that's 40 years later. Yeah. 1983, we have had so far this year, We've definitely had Martin Folio this weekend. We've had John Cunningham recently. Yeah. We've had Buckingham Street. We've had Mansfield. Yeah. I mean, that's so it is. They probably were a kind of a unique generation of 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 criminals in a way um, that they they had a certain longevity and rem- and you know remained mm-hmm. uh, involved. I suppose it's something equivalent to sort of the craze in London uh, yeah. generation earlier. Um, but yeah, so I mean. The, the, the Rusborough House um, robbery, though, I think these things became an offence against the state. And we see this from time to time. I mean, the Regency, again, was something similar where all of a sudden sort of normal civil society wakes up and thinks we can't allow this to go on in the way it's gone on. Or is it that it's so embarrassing for the police? But that's what I mean. No, that's what I mean. It's embarrassing for the police, but it's embarrassing for the politicians. The politicians call the shots, tell the police this can't go on. And that is... That is what happened then. It happened ultimately with the Kinnons that the political class woke up and thought mm-hmm. this isn't something that's confined to certain areas. This is something that that's that we're 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 being embarrassed by and we're not gonna allow it to continue. And then the state, I think that was what was it, nineteen eighty seven, they started to grind down the cattle gang through mm-hmm. Tango One policing, which has become a really famous thing as well. Yeah. Um, I think you see it in the in that the film, the general, which is a great film, where you just see the police constantly outside their house. Mm. They don't have any massively sophisticated plan, other than just follow all the main guys and never leave them alone. Put them under pressure. Yeah, put yeah. them under pressure, Jack Charlton. And of course, they have, um, you know, in the in the movie, Cahill is in visiting his pigeons, and yeah. they're kind of looking over looking over the wall and all the rest of it. However truthful that is, but that I mean, that was. Uh, a kind of a policing plan that still mm. happened in Limerick as well in terms of just getting on top of them. Yeah, and certainly is is one that seems to work repeatedly no matter yeah. what era. But interestingly, when, you know, the Tango 
squad, the establishment of it and what would later happen in Limerick and in other places. The kind of the one of the the the, the reasons for it is to put them under that pressure. Yeah. Because once they're under pressure, especially volatile individuals, they will make mistakes. And that's exactly what Foley did after yeah. the Tango Squad was established in 1987. He is Somebody, I mean, we're talking about him that he's just been to court and pled guilty to threatening um, somebody for, yeah. to try and in relation re- to a dr- in relation, relation to, to a death, death okay. collection of a death. So there's a kind of a you know, I mean, there's a kind of a, 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 a sort of an element of a bully there, right? Yeah. And back when Tango was established, he couldn't cope with the the being tangoed as such, yeah. and he beat up a few guardie. Yeah. Now he went on the run to the UK. He was. Uh, he was charged here yeah, and he had to be extradited from the UK. And that, again, is exactly the point of those tangoing operations. You get them for whatever you can, yeah. even if it's a public order offence. You yeah. start racking up the offences against them as you're building the bigger case. Yeah. So they're going in and out of prison. You're breaking up the kind of the cell structure that is their gang. And it's very effective. So... um Foley was jailed for for two years after being extradited from the States um, and uh, sorry, from the UK. And obviously, you know, as time went on, Cahill became, you know, he was still under heavy investigation by police. The Tango Squad didn't continue for ever. Yeah. But by 1994, Cahill was in a bad place with yeah, he had health problems as well as everything else. He was but with the IRA. He, he was, was in a yes, bad place with he, the IRA. He was become, I think, very paranoid in the last few years of his life. So he started falling out with all these people, uh, including people like Shavo Hogan, uh, who was Martin Foley, a very close friend of Martin Foley. He thought he was uh, had become an informer. So he became, and yeah, he, he was started, very paranoid about him. And yeah, and ultimately, he the IRA were putting him under pressure. I think to do with the paintings, where they were, uh, about money, and because many of them have never been recovered. No, yeah, I mean, no. they all recovered eventually. I can't remember because it was two robberies. And we're going to come two to the robberies. Some of them are definitely missing. Yeah, um, some of them are definitely still. There is some of them definitely still missing. Yeah. There's no doubt. One or two of them, I think. Yeah. Um, and there was all sorts of stories that they were buried out in the woodlands and were they going to be protected and all this. But in the run up to him being shot dead by the IRA in 1994, Cahill, of course, John Gilligan had decided that armed robberies were a thing of the past. Yeah. These kind of crimes were just so, so high risk. If you're caught doing them, you're going to get a really hefty sentence and you're all caught. And they're probably not worth the reward anymore because, of course, drugs were very much on the landscape. Yeah. And Gilligan had spent a period in prison. He had met up with uh, John Trainer, yeah. I believe, and had been kind of introduced maybe to the first of his contacts in Amsterdam who would supply him with Cannabis. Yeah. What he needed was an amount of money to go and buy his first sort of import deal. Yeah. And he went to Cahill because he didn't have the money himself. And Cahill allegedly, as story goes, gave Gilligan the money. So he got kind of involved in the drug business. Is that what angered the IRA? Was there other stuff about the paintings? It's probably a mixture of everything. Yeah. I mean, this is all the big disputed territory, isn't it? Whether, you know, Gilligan spoke to the IRA, you know. Wanted to have his debt wiped out, which it was essentially when Cahill was shot. And that's what put Gilligan into the big league so quickly because the 300,000, for example, or whatever it was that he borrowed to go and buy his first, he didn't just take the profits, he took that as well. Yeah. So he had nothing owed. No, and this is, of course, when he was starting off, so there wasn't that sort of buying it on credit or anything like that. So it was a big investment and it paid off big time, obviously, for him. But either way, I mean, there's no dispute, I think, that the IRA killed Martin mm. Cahill. Um, a lot of people... Belgrave Square in Ranelagh. Yeah, very close to his home in 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 in, in the area. Um, huge moment, I think, yeah. for in, in gangland history. Um, the IRA claimed responsibility and um, John Gilligan then was really in the clear. Um, he'd always been a kind of a junior aspect, junior to, to Martin Cahill. Martin Cahill was, you know, the most famous and well-known criminal and kind of acted as a sort of godfather figure, mm. settling disputes between other criminals. They'd gone to him as a kind of man of respect. And once he was eliminated, um, 
John Gilligan became the number one criminal figure in Ireland in, in very, very quickly. Um, and within two years, they had had managed to build up a business that, you know, there was a figure thrown out during his court cases that he was making 20 million profit and yeah. made 20 million profit yeah. profit within two years. What other? And that was just cannabis. Yeah. Anyway, a couple of months after Cahill was shot in 94, Paddy Shanahan was shot dead. Yeah. Now, was that IRA related as well? I can't remember. We might need to go. And um, well, there was never it was, it was it was it, it was never fully clear. Um, like. Shanahan then started at that point. It started making a lot of money as a as a as a developer, a property developer, mm. and had been making more money from property development than than true crime. But there was money, you know. There was a lot of disputes about about money, and that's a bit more murky. Um, mm. But in this time, uh, Martin Foley had started to reemerge then as um, as and was being linked to the drug trade, really, the cannabis trade, something that he has always denied and mm. gone to court denying. Nonetheless, he had he had moved into that, that world as well, according to most people in the underworld sources at the time. Now, in 95 and 96, he's shot. Yeah. Both occasions he survives. Yeah. Um, you know, quite serious attempts in his life. And Gilligan believed to be behind it. They're the two occasions yeah, Brian I mean, Meehan attacks him. Yeah, Brian Meehan uh, and another very well-known member of the Gilligan gang had attempted to shoot him um, in, in Crumlin. In Is he the, attempting to, I wonder, to claim back the debt that was owed to Cahill well, there was or a dis- what's going on there? Well, I mean, did, there's the underworld rumours at the time was that uh, the Gilligan gang had decided to shoot Foley because Foley had been melting off another thing that people always say about Martin Foley, rightly or wrongly, that he's gossipy and that he, you know, but apparently he had told the IRA that the Gilligan gang had moved into heroin dealing. Heroin dealing. This is disputed big time. And that had put the, the Gilligan gang in the line of fire for the IRA, who would tolerate cannabis, uh, but would not tolerate uh, people selling heroin in the inner city communities that they relied on for support. Um, so apparently Brian Meehan and another associate who'd, who'd end up in court as well in a very serious crime uh, had targeted Martin Foley. Um, but again, he survived. Because he's as hard as nails and he go, you know, he fights back. He's like a little Rothweiler, isn't he? he? But he is. I and mean, very fit. I mean, yeah. that's not just... I Though mean, I always f- f- love this one. I remember working in a tabloid uh, newspaper in the 2000s and somebody saying yeah, Martin Foley survived another shooting because he's so fit. Yeah. I was thinking, really? <laughs> like, how thick can you be? But he certainly had well, a... No, sur- because they say when somebody has built a lot of muscle yeah. that it protects the organs from bullets at times that the, the, the bullet will, you know, lodge within the muscle and not reach the vital organ. Because obviously if you're shot yeah. and the bullets don't go through your vital organs, you have quite a high chance of survival. Could be so to do with bad quality weapons as well, or or, or be, bad quality hitmen. I don't know if he's his muscles were that big. There's an element of that about the muscle, to and, be honest with you, and the fitness. And obviously, you, well, I think if you can keep moving, if somebody's well, shooting, well, this that's is, what you should do. By the way, if somebody's shooting at you, you should keep moving, keep trying to to not certainly stand still and become a target. I did and always feel though that sometimes it was it was like he was Superman; he could repel the bullets yeah, through, a, know, through, a, a, through a flex of the bicep. Well, listen, come on, he's 14 bullets in his body, like I mean. Yeah. That is a pretty extraordinary. Well, feat. I will, I will, I will say he had a great survival instinct. Great, I mean, just extraordinary. Anyway, by June two thousand, Rusborough House, the bike couple are hit again, um, in another robbery. This time, it's suspected that it's Foley and Shavo Hogan. Yeah, and Hogan and Foley had actually become very close in prison when Foley was extradited back from the UK that time after beating up the guardy, the Garda, and um. While Cahill had turned on Hogan and believed he was an informer, Foley, kind of the two of them hooked up, really. Yeah. And they were suspected of carrying out that Rusborough House um, robbery again. Foley yeah. will always deny anything to do with it. Um, but a month after that robbery and all of the artwork in that case was retrieved by, recovered by the Gardaí. The paintings this time were recovered, but a month later, Hogan was shot dead outside the transport club in Crumlin. Now, I'm very aware of that Hogan shooting. Yeah. Um, wherever I was in my journalism at the time, yeah. I remember knowing a lot about him. Um, 
I remember writing about him and I believe when he was in prison that time, Cahill had ordered for him to be attacked. I think probably to be murdered when he believed yeah. he was an informer. And he had had his ears shaped yeah. like a rat. Yeah. And had them, you know, sliced and stuff. And I, maybe that's why he stood out to me. Yeah. Shavo Hogan. Um, and I also met somebody who had had uh, something awful happen to them. And this individual told me that Hogan had looked after them. Yeah. He was nice. It was probably the first time I was starting to properly get in under the the, the headlines of the right. underworld and learning that these people were human beings with good side and bad sides, yeah. that they were, yeah. you know, they had lived these crazy, you know, violent lives, but they also had an ability sometimes to be, show a certain... Yeah, loyalty. Would you call it kindness? It was to the community. It was so, I suppose... That whole sense, that Robin Hood style thing. Yeah. They were baddies, but they were goodies to their own. Yeah. And they looked after neighbors and, you know, women who'd been left on their own and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. no, that's, I was very aware of Hogan and I suppose was writing about all these characters back then, which is now 23 years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as you say, here we are still talking about him. Now, shortly after this time, Foley, who was emerging as a bigger figure than ever, he was no longer a secondary character. No. He was no longer just the enforcer of a gang. He was, his, you know, an individual of his own right. He went to war with the Sunday World. Yeah. Um, because the Sunday World was writing about him and um, they had some sort of a story about uh, that, who he was and, you know, how he had basically not been caught a few times yeah. when he was close to drugs, seizures. Yeah. They were they were linking him to drug dealing, which he didn't like. And the newspaper, I think Paul Williams, the crime correspondent at the time, was writing a lot about him. Yeah. And he went really heavily to war with the Sunday World. He brought the paper to court, tried to have uh, reporting on him banned, yeah. uh, saying that they were putting his life at risk. Yeah, there was mention of the IRA as well in some of the pieces and his relationship with them. And that's, he was saying that he was being put at risk of... Of being shot down, yeah. basically. And yeah. this totally, it was Michael O'Higgins actually defended him yeah. or was representing him rather. And he was saying it was the most, you know, like the most dangerous report you yeah. could ever imagine. Of course, yeah. um, the Sunday World won the case. Yeah. And shortly after that, there was an incident around where Williams was living when there was a hoax bomb put under his car. Yeah. And he and 150 of his neighbours had to be evacuated yeah. while the army came in and made sure that it was always safe. Horrendous yeah. uh, situation to find yourself in as a crime correspondent. And Williams was put under protection at that stage yeah. because of this, I suppose, this this, this assault or this... this yeah, this attack on, yeah, attack on reporting. And remember... By Foley, like, yeah, you know. By Foley. And Foley obviously was investigated and suspected, but yeah. never charged. Oh, no, he was never convicted. charged in relation to it. Um, but um, now, so throughout the 2000s, he is sort of operating under cover, but he's popping up all over the place in relation to suspected of being involved in this, that, and the other. Yeah. And he's given the nickname of the Viper yeah. by the media. Yeah. Um, and that's because it was because in essentially his mustache and he has that sort of look about him. Yeah. Vipery, you know. Um, and of course, I think he complained about that when he took the Sunday World to court to yeah. try and gag the paper. But then he took that on. He started to claim ownership of that name, the Viper. And in around the late, the end of the 2000s, he sets up the Viper Recovery and Debt Services. Yeah. So he's going legit. Yeah. He's setting up a company. Himself and his then partner, now partner, uh, who's a younger woman. Well, I think initially he set it up with Troy Jordan. Right. Who was also a, a suspected criminal and we've written about many times. Good contact and yeah. of Gilligan. Good contact of Gilligan and somebody who looked after Gilligan's land, didn't he, when he was yeah. going through his legal uh, battles. So Troy Jordan and him set it up. Ultimately, uh, they both resigned as directors and uh, Foley's uh, now wife was brought on mm -hmm. uh, as a director. I mean, in this time, Foley, uh, you know, in 2000, he'd survived another uh, shooting attempt outside uh, a gym in, in, in Terenure, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, when was that? Was that not 2000? He survived. 2008. 
So it's 2008 outside the Carlisle gym and that shooting was believed to have been carried out weirdly by his nephew, James Quinn, who's now in jail in Spain um, yeah, serving a life sentence for the murder of Gary That's Hunt. That's right. So there was first in September 2000, there was a, another attempt on his life. That was at the Terranure swimming pool. That, that was at the yeah. Terranure swimming yeah, you're pool. Right. And he was, he was ultimately shot and just shot really at quite close range, but managed to just get hit in the ankle. Right. And that was always a bit unclear about who it was, but um, really that attempted shooting and the shooting in 2008 were both linked to what were, what are, were the Kinnan gang really. Mm-hmm. And some of it, um, according to underworld sources, was driven by the fact that there had been uh, a seizure um, in continental Europe. There'd been a drugs a drug seizure and a cash seizure um, that were, according to Underworld sources, Foley was in dispute with John Cunningham. Right. John Cunningham at that stage and, you know, for many, many years afterwards would have been Christy Kinahan Sr.'s absolute right hand When you say man. in dispute, Cunningham was blaming Foley yeah, on saying, touting, basically? No, no, blaming him on saying, you owe me this money, that money was right. seized, but it's, you know, I my end of the business had been done, you owe me that money. Foley had refused to pay, saying, no, that was your responsibility. These things actually go on quite a lot in, mm-hmm. in gangland. So there'd been a dispute, according to sources, of a better, over a bill of about 100,000 euros. Mm. Foley had, at that stage, was deeply involved in with some of the, the, the Crumlin Drimna figures. Obviously felt like he was big enough to refuse to pay. Um, that shooting in 2000 was an attempt by the Kinnan organisation to kill him, basically, for mm. that debt. Um, and it wasn't forgotten. I mean, that's really what happened, isn't it? By 2008. I'm certainly, I'd be sure of the 2008 shooting being, the Kinnahan organisation being behind that. The 2001, I have also heard that that was a Provo plot again. So, I mean, the, that that era, the 2000s, the Kinnahans were really only establishing themselves. They were, um, but Cunningham was already yeah, a, no, a big was, player. Yeah, no, he was. He would have been, he would have um, been in jail at the time in, in um, the Netherlands after he was, and Christy Kinnan. Look, again. Either way. Either way. It was one or the other. But by 2008, when he was shot outside the Carlisle gym, he was definitely in dispute at that point with the Kinnahan organization. With the, directly with the top of them. And, and, you know, whatever. James Quinn is his nephew. James Quinn is his nephew and there was another, uh, Foley was shot. He actually looked like he would die in 2008, didn't he? It was really, he was shot a number of times at really close range. Um, As the police arrived at the scene, he gave a name to the police um, of who shot him. Well, he did said, he just gave them a name Mm. um, and that person would ultimately end up in prison again as part of the, 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 the feud, uh, the Kinnan Hutch feud, uh, Dean Howe. Yeah, okay. So Dean Howe was also the name given. Um, um, Dean Howe is currently serving, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's eight years for conspiracy to kill Gary Hanley, mm-hmm. uh, Hutch, Hutch associate. And James Quinn, of course, would have had the ability to um, arrange to meet his uncle. He would. They were, he was working with the Kinnahan organization yeah. at that stage, a childhood friend of Daniel Kinnahan's. Um, and ha- was a bare knuckle boxer. Essentially, the uncle J- Martin Foley, it would be said, almost blooded him in bare knuckle boxing, and used to bring him to these kind of fights in the mountains, illegal kind of fights, and all the rest of it. So they were close enough. But James Quinn would go on to show his ultimate loyalty to the Kinahan organization when he was arrested in 2016 for the murder of Gary Hutch. In the September of 2016, he was found living on a yacht. Yeah. He was found with a photograph of Daniel Kinahan's mother. Yeah. A dog-eared photograph of it in his wallet that he yeah. was carrying around. She was obviously as much as a mother to him as he had, yeah. you know, from from what those who knew him said. He was also at that point in 2016, so that is eight years after this shooting of his uncle, he's working full-time for the Kinnan organization as their in-house hitman, yeah. as their fully staffed up hitman. He's living on the Costa, he's paid a wage, and when he does a hit, he is given a bonus, basically. Yeah. And going around in an incredible yacht and, mm. you know, living the high life. Um, and I think at that point, that 
that attempted shooting and ultimately Foley survived, I think that probably was the end of him as a as a high level uh, yeah. high level player. Yeah. What he became then was, as we talked about, he set up um this deck collection service and he really uh while he fought against the notoriety, obviously against the Sunday world and brought the paper to court this became his uh, retirement plan, really, didn't it? Mm, mm. His notoriety. Um, now, so over, over the last 15 years, how many times have we done stories and all the other papers about local businessman says, I was, you know, Foley Mark called Foley into called my house. Yeah. There's been discussions in in by politicians calling up for it to be banned. There's been so many of them, isn't there? There was one yeah. recently there where there was somebody took a video of him saying, you know, he was asking for death. He didn't threaten violence. And when your man says, who are you? And he says, Google me. Yeah. So it's gone on and on. Um, You'd wonder do people know him. He's a very familiar face, obviously, he, to us, but... yeah. Well, um, I think he still know him, and uh, he's sixty-seven now, going around. Well, my parents would know who Martin Foley yeah. is, where they wouldn't have a clue who who James Quinn is, if yes, you know what I mean. Yeah. So he does have a notoriety. Yeah. Um, a lot of it seems to be in rural Ireland, doesn't it? Yeah, um, a lot of the debt collection seems to be around the country, and a lot of it is to do with kind of uh, broadly construction and and you know that sort of yeah, business and, sort and of the cash. likes of what we you know is he was most recently in yeah. court for the collecting of rent yeah i mean you're not you're never talking six figure sums no you're ever. so you're talking uh you know 50,000 or maybe or, maybe a bit above yeah um and it's gone on for years hasn't it We've, yeah. the, you know it's it's um you know there's been loads he has, a, he has a, a a small child as well like he, with his current partner because um, I, I remember when that child was born and myself and Ernie I think were in Crumlin and we sort of thought we'd just swing by see how things mm. were and he was standing outside his house and he looked over and saw me and he had the baby and a bottle yeah and he managed to maneuver the whole thing to give me the two fingers <laughs> beautiful sight well, I like have to say fair play born baby in his arm <laughs> bottle in his left you know Crooked between the baby and his... Yeah, I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same. But uh, but either way, I mean, that that is really how he survived now. Yeah. Um, on, I think on his reputation. I mean, it, it does throw up an interesting question about who should be allowed to collect debts and Definitely. what what legal structure we should have in place for that type of thing. And, yeah. you know, it's a certainly is a grey area, not just in, in terms of Martin Foley's behaviour. There's other many other dodgy ways that are these things are being done. Um, nonetheless. He was only warned uh, most recently that his, his life remains under threat in 2020 when he got another gym form from the Gardaí. Apparently he'd fallen out with associates of Troy Jordan, his one-time business partner, because they did part ways. Yeah, I mean, he had another little, uh, didn't he have another little, minor feud with a guy known the little general as well that was He's a, a crotchety f- yeah like guy isn't he like i think what stands out for me about foley is that he falls out with everybody he's yeah. always fighting with somebody yeah he isn't somebody that lives under the radar no and he's very quick to use his fists like yeah. as if he's still a young man as if we're still yeah. living in an era when you can just do that without any repercussions yeah i mean our own Colleague Donald McIntyre had a bit of a he did he did go from him didn't he they, he did he did sort of a set to he punched him in the stomach he did he lost his uh, he lost his temper at the time uh, Foley and and uh, Donald very uh, uh, wouldn't be uh, necessarily a aggro type of guy would he uh, necessarily? no he's he's very good at at keeping situations yeah. friendly even bizarre situations that you'd be in he's good at talking. Until yeah, until he, people, he sort of tires you into his, sort of quietens it down into quietens this, this yeah, situation, the situation down. down. So, but I mean, a good kind of mediator or something yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, so Foley, um, and of course he's he's still living in 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 Crumlin, and people say he's quite a pleasant neighbour. But um, yeah, he could end up in prison now. Um, I can't even think of when he would have he could, he could manage if the maximum was two months he's not going to be in for very long if they do put him in no he's, he's clever that he pleaded guilty to the lesser charge and didn't have to go on trial for threats you, to kill i'd you, say his bigger problem is his, his criminal assets bureau bill because in the end of the day that's going to have to be paid at some stage or, or they'll come looking for the house or they'll never well you know you don't know what yeah 
you know, it's it's hard to get blood out of a stone. But if you look back, what what did you say he was involved in uh, in terms of a, a pipe uh, fitter, was it? Or, or he was a tire it? fitter. So you do wonder, like, if you look back, um, he's, he's here now, he's facing maybe a month or two in prison or, or not. He owes a load of money to the Criminal Assets Bureau and he's living in Crumlin where he's lived for all, all that time. Yeah. Would he have been better off sticking with the tire fitting? Well, he would, because actually I'd say you make a good living out of that. He would, he would, yeah, he'd be on the pig's back and he'd be retiring and maybe could have yeah. bought a little place in Spain as well if he'd stuck with that. And, you know, Martin Foley's still alive and that's... Doesn't he go to the Grand Canaries or somewhere that he goes all the time on his... I think so, but you would you would think this is, you know, Foley, we say, is a great survivor and he is one of the few of his contemporaries who's still alive. Mm, well, that is in itself. But has it all been worth it? I don't know. I mean, when I did the sum and I thought, you know, driving to Gory to go and threaten a 68-year-old pensioner over unpaid rent, which whatever's going on there, I don't know. But most people who haven't paid their rent can't afford to pay it. You can't, as you say, get blood out of a stone. Yeah. But to do that, I mean, it would take you the day. Yeah. Right, first of all. Yeah. There's the insurance, the tax and the vehicle. Yeah the diesel or the petrol, whatever that goes into it. Yeah. Paying the guy, the co-accused, whose name was Alan Nolte, and he, of course, pleaded guilty um, yeah, to that. A suspended you sentence, yeah. Suspended sentence. You have to pay your, your sidekick. Yeah. Um, And you probably got to buy your lunch and, you Stop know... Stop in the Barack Obama Plaza or whatever it is yeah, and get your lunch. get your lunch. Um, You know, you're more than likely going to get a phone call during the day to go and get this. We need this, this, and yeah. this, and this. Pocket change would you have left from that? I don't know. Earning don't know. and yeah, and just the nature of the job in itself, like you know, yeah. the idea of going to, to threaten. Would you ever, like, he must be so filled with anger and resentment and all the rest of it that you could you couldn't wake up every day in the mood to threaten someone. No, you know, I, we can all get angry and we can all get a bit worked up about things and we will say things we don't. You know, we don't sort of cover ourselves in glory when we're feeling like that, dealing with people. Yeah. But to be constantly f- sort of ready to go to battle. Yeah, look, is, it's, it's, look, it's it is. a highly tense it, way to live your life. It is. And I suppose maybe you would think that some guy, poor guy owns four grand. You wouldn't feel like being, an, you wouldn't feel like an ordinary decent criminal maybe pursuing that though. People owe money and they yeah. title for it to be paid back to them. But I mean, yeah, he, he he's had a, an amazing life story. And um, there was always talk that he'd written an autobiography, but it's it's never seen the light of day. There was talk of late, of course, that he was claiming to know where certain works of art were. He denies that. He has been litigious himself in the past. He's yeah, tried to... He's least, trying to sue the BBC, is he? Well, he has he has listed a case, but nothing has ever come of it yeah. over, over their claims that uh, to do with the Charlie Hill documentary. Um. And yeah, he's just a survivor, really. And yeah. you don't see him in in the, you don't see him dripping in designer no. gear or driving fast cars. Or he's obviously just always made a regular living, has he? I don't know. I mean, I just the interesting thing would be: will we still be talking about him in the twenty thirties, Nicola? Yeah. No, we won't. Yeah, not at all. No. So, what age would he be then? Ninety. <laughs> no. <laughs> 70s. Seven years yeah, from sorry. now. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I always still feel like we're just at the beginning of the 2000s. Same <laughs> way as I always still feel I'm 26. Maybe if I could get that straight in my head. Yeah. Um, do you not get a shock though sometimes? Well, I you do. Go, I do. Something happened in 2001 yeah. and you go, that was 22 years ago. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like that was 22 years ago. It doesn't, no. Ago. I mean, I, yeah, like there was, yeah, I did. Even the 2000s, somebody's saying they're all wearing 2000s fashion. I'm thinking, yeah. oh, surely it's, that's the same as now, is it? It is with you. <laughs> yeah, it's with me. <laughs> then again, I'm not going to Deacon Blue concerts, am I, Nicola? Which is not even the 2000s. No, no. I I think that is perfectly acceptable. That's just a kind of... That's a, quite, quite the modern little, and hip... Um, uh, just a little reach back into the past, really. But uh, What about calling The Weekend The Weekender, as no, you did? I, I, but I didn't. I called them The Weekend's... Uh, and I actually was ahead of the game on that. I was the first one to buy the Weekend album. Yes. Out of a younger generation of people that I know. So. Well, I apologize then. Yeah. Um, right up there. 
Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not, like. I'm not. I'm not able to deal with that. But when it comes to age or anything <laughs> like that, or just modernization. But uh, maybe I'm a little bit like Foley in that way. Maybe he's, so. He definitely still feels he's a young man out there. Yeah, like, he does. But anyway, um, so much there really, and all those individuals really that have come into that. Yeah, it is incredible. Story are worthy of a, kind of a deep dive into them themselves. I mean particularly that Paddy Shanahan. Like yeah. We must get back to him. He's he's a fascinating character. That yeah, absolutely. And John Cunningham and, and yeah. you know, all these guys. I still want to know where John Cunningham is. Yeah. Anybody yeah. knows where John Cunningham is, please let me know. Um, you know, we haven't laid eyes on him since, well, his brother Michael Cunningham died, of course, yeah. when he came back for the funeral and we got photographs of him then. But since, realistically, we've no much information on him since 2010 yeah. when he was arrested during Operation Shovel, taken to jail and got bail along with Christy Kinahan Sr. But he hasn't been floating around that Kinahan organisation no. since or doesn't certainly look, at, look like he is. He certainly ain't in Dubai or hasn't had much to do with them since everything went a bit toxic. Um, As far as we know, anyway, yeah. As far as we know, but, you know, um, he could be just cleverer than the rest and lying low. Yeah. So, for the moment, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Well done on the runners. Thank you very much, Nicola. Very proud of myself. (laughs) You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.